want to welcome everybody to the This Is Me podcast. Uh, we're excited today to have Jackson Schaefer with us, as well as Greg Bodziak. Some of you have already heard Greg and I do the original uh, podcast that launched the series on the founding of eSoccer. And so you know a little bit about uh, myself, Russ Yule, and Greg Bodziak. But Jackson Schaefer is a student at San Jose State majoring in kinesiology with an emphasis in IPAC, which is inclusive physical activity in communities, which is, to me, extraordinarily exciting and fits really well with what we're going to talk about today. So we're really happy to have Jackson here, his first podcast. Thank you, uh, thank you. You're welcome. He's been involved with eSports for almost 13 years and is one of the head coaches at eSoccer for the past five years. Uh, and uh, I believe you've done some work at Hope Technology School too, right? Yeah, just just a few months. I got to work as um, as an after, in the after-school program, and I was also a cross-country coach there briefly. Cross-country. I get yeah, tired nice. just hearing about that. Yeah, uh, I ran, ran it in high school. And, yeah, where'd you go to high to, school? Went to high school at College Park High School out in Pleasant Hill. Right. I next, like Pleasant Hill. Right next to... Uh, Diablo Valley College. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's very awesome. Uh, man, cross country's tough. We had a great cross country team where I grew up in Michigan, and I, I used to cover it for the newspaper. Oh, and very man, cool. alive, these guys. I mean, you talk about, we got, as soon as I feel pain in my side, I stopped doing whatever it is I was doing. And the cross country guy, that's, they're beast. They're just beast. Well, you know, that's why he switched to soccer. Because you better pull that microphone next to you, or no one else the, will know the what you're saying. The greatest running sport known to man. <laughs> Soccer is the greatest good, good. running sport known to man. <laughs> next to come cross country, <laughs> not track. <laughs> Basketball saying, is the you greatest. Run, you run the most distance. Basketball is the greatest sport known to man, but that's fine. Uh, anyway, uh, you can tell we're very happy to be together. We're going to be talking today about the five levels of inclusion. And uh, uh, Jackson has uh, a lot of experience, just did a presentation at San Jose State, which he was talking about, uh, which is very exciting and able to share with people about his efforts and involvement with eSoccer. And uh, uh, some of his friends are going to come on out. And one of our goals in everything we do is to try to get people more informed and more aware of inclusion uh, and and what it's all about and and get them to volunteer and and come face-to-face with kids who have a variety of disabilities. Um, and one of the things that I began to write about is what we're going to talk about today is the five levels of inclusion. It's an article I put together about three years ago, which I really haven't done much about originally planned to. Um, and I wrote it uh, because I felt like the kind of inclusion that I saw and heard about and read about um, was not um, the kind of inclusion that uh, would produce a quality of life that I know I wanted for my kids who have special needs. And overall, I didn't think it would produce that quality of life for any kid who has special needs. One of the Mm. things that, in my mind, is important to understand is that there are a variety of definitions of inclusion, none of which uh, are necessarily uh, bad or do I disagree with and does anybody disagree with. But innovating solutions socially is one of my goals. It's why we started the company Digital Scribbler some time ago, me and some of my friends, that produces software for kids who have uh, are verbally challenged in their communication, and it allows them to use a device, a smartphone, or a, a tablet to be able to communicate uh, by, through typing uh, through a variety of voices and with a, a variety of different uh, tools within the tool. Uh, it's why we started eSoccer and a variety of eSports from that. Uh, is all in an effort to try to gain an opportunity to improve the quality of life for those with disabilities. 
The five levels of inclusion are community, connection, contribution, contemplation, and comprehensive. We'll talk about that in a moment. But first, I want to talk about dehumanization. Mm. I think one of the things that is often overlooked about um, people with disabilities is the level of dehumanization that can take place. Yeah, I'd agree. So, so, so one of the things is some time ago, uh, in, uh, earlier this year in 2018, April, actually April 16th, the New York Times released an article by Chris Capozzi. I, I think that's how you say his name. Um, and it was called The Ethical Case for Having a Baby with Down Syndrome. And his position was that uh, uh, a lot of kids are being aborted because they have Down syndrome because parents don't want to raise them. And he was making an ethical case uh, for uh, having a baby with Down syndrome. Now, some of that is connected to a professor at Princeton, I believe it is, named Peter Singer. Uh, I've read Peter Singer's work and don't agree with it uh, because he advocates for a utilitarian view of childbirth, which is if... I'm going to have a child with Down syndrome and it's going to make my life more difficult and I'm not going to get the experience that I would hope for with a kid, then it's okay to abort them. Now, if he was here, he would say, okay, it's not that simplified, but anytime in my mind that you're writing about the, uh, the, ethical, the ethical nature of saying it's okay to abort yeah. a child with Down syndrome, you are, you know, you're in a, you're in a, you're in a swampy field. And he's got a lot of, yeah. a lot of criticism for that uh, and I don't deny his right to say what he thinks. But I think the reason I'm mentioning that yeah. is that when Chris Capozzi writes, he's a bioethicist uh, in the New York Times about the ethical case. He's sort of going and saying, look, it's, it's not ethical to necessarily uh, 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 abort a kid with Down syndrome. One of my favorite um, writers uh, is um, Ruth Marcus, and she writes – for I believe it's the Washington Post, and uh, she actually is the uh, deputy editorial page editor, which means she uh, makes decisions about what goes on the editorial page, which is real important, the opinion right, page. Right. But she wrote in response pretty much to the Capozzi article in the New York Times, I would have aborted a fetus with Down syndrome. Women need that right. So for her, it became a discussion about abortion. Mm-hmm. I, that's not a discussion to me. That, that, I'm, I'm not even interested in that. What I'm interested in is the fact that they had this discussion in two of the greatest newspapers the country has ever known, and I think lost in it was the the just the the dehumanization of the right. idea that a kid has Down syndrome because the very idea that you're having a discussion about whether they should be kept or should right. not be kept means that societally we haven't negotiated through the humanization of people with special needs. Yeah, it's interesting. Even as you bring that up, just because of all my years of working alongside you with kids with special needs, whether it's Down syndrome, on the spectrum, the autism spectrum, et cetera, it's amazing because I've been sat here thinking what – yeah. almost kind of what right does somebody have to say that just because a child's born with Down syndrome, they're any less of a child? And that's what – like you know, when I was thinking about just this whole discussion of dehumanization – um, it's funny, even as you were talking about that, I thought, well, I don't, I, I don't, because of the years of us working together with the kids, I don't, I, it's not even a question in my mind about, you know, the utilitarian nature, the usefulness of, of an individual with a special need, um, because I have seen how much, how much my life has been enriched by my relationships with those who have special needs. So. Well, see, the, the argument that these people would make is that, well, you don't, you don't have one, mm-hmm. so you don't know how hard it is. And, yeah. and and I, I think you shouldn't be telling somebody I, – I pretty much don't think you should be telling somebody 
what choices they have to make about life. So I'm not in right. that area. Right. Where I'm in is the, the social arena and the ethical arena I'm in is don't we have a responsibility to make sure that people understand that a Down syndrome person or a person with autism or a person with cystic fibrosis or a person who has suffered a tragedy that has put them in a wheelchair or a paraplegic, we have, don't we have a responsibility to make sure that people understand that while they may be limited, they are no less human. And right. to me, mm-hmm. right. the discussion of inclusion is really about humanity. I don't, I'm not saying, either, I'm, I'm, I respect both of these writers. So I'm not saying that they are, you know, somehow not uh, caring about people with Down syndrome because the articles do not reflect that I don't care. Ruth Marcus does not come out and say I would have aborted because I don't care or I think they're not human. What she's saying is I couldn't have handled it. And and that's not a, you know, I can't tell somebody what they could have handled. One of my kids has Down syndrome. So I'm like, okay, I get that you would have been able to handle it. Now, that's not the real question. Mm -hmm. In a society where we think it's, where anyone would think it's ethical to abort a kid with Down syndrome, what that means is, that let's say there's, I didn't look it up the number, but let's say there's 600,000 people with Down syndrome. Then maybe there's supposed to be 1.2 million. But because okay. there's not 1.2 right, million, there's right. only 600,000, you now have cut in half the population that would have existed that would have forced society to look and say, hey, right. this, this person you're being. So let me segue then to the story. So one of the reasons that I'm really determined to make sure my kids have a quality life, and quality life to me is the five levels of inclusion. It's being in involved in the community. It's having emotional connection, intellectual, intellectually being able to make a contribution, right. uh, mm-hmm. uh, being able to be involved in, in contemplation, the spiritual inclusion of finding purpose for your life and the comprehensive nature of doing all these and living a healthy quality of life. Uh, I was in a Barnes and Nobles, uh, some, okay. some years ago and, uh, I was doing some work there and doing some writing there. And uh, a, a, a group, I'm sure many of you have seen a group of uh, special needs kids was being brought in by their their caretakers or their guides. Mm-hmm. They were probably part of a, a residential yeah. a group yeah. uh, that was there. And they came on in and they all, uh, you know, sat down. They did. They went around the bookstore a little bit and they all sat down. And, and one of the kids I noticed, he had Down syndrome, Was he had a, an aide with him. And the aide was, uh, she was looking on her smartphone, doing different stuff. And he was he was sitting at the table just staring straight ahead, doing nothing. Not She didn't get him a book. And I understand, I don't know, I didn't know what was going on, but I'm just talking about it as an observer. She yeah. didn't get him a book. He didn't have anything he was looking at. He was just sitting there literally like every now and then he tapped the table and just staring straight ahead. And in that moment, I said, I don't want my kid's future to be that. Right, yeah. It, to, me, to me, that's not, that's not inclusion, you know? That's, um, that's a child being able to be a part of a community and that's great. And I think that's what you're talking about with the community, the social inclusion, but that's completely lacking any emotional inclusion. You know, I see, um, yeah, sorry to, sorry to interrupt your story, but that's, that's just something, that's the first thing you I You didn't noticed. interrupt my story. That was it. Oh, okay. <laughs> great. Um, then I don't feel bad anymore. Um, but I I'm think, not sure um, you felt bad anyway, but go ahead. <laughs> I, might, I might not have, but either way. Um, yeah, I think it completely lacks uh, any emotional inclusion. Why do you um, think it happens? So, so, so one of the things I don't want to do is I don't want to come across judgmental, right? Right. So I'm not trying to judge the woman. I'm not. I'm just saying right. that's not the life I want it for my kid. Right. And that makes complete sense. Um, I think that it just makes me think of a story um, where a few years ago I was with this one. I was I was at East Soccer. I was a head coach at East Soccer in in Walnut Creek. Um, and there's this one kid, um, I'm not going to say his name, but, 
Um, there's this one kid I would consistently work with almost every week for cool. the for like maybe maybe off and on seasons, a total maybe two to three years. Mm-hmm. I'd see him at every East, almost every East soccer session on Saturday mornings, uh, for two to three years. Right. Um, and, uh, it was, it was, he didn't seem invested until we broke off and did the drills and we were working together and it was just me and him working side by side and we were able to, um, like what he loved, he loved to sing songs. Yeah. So, so the way we were able to emotionally connect was mm-hmm. to sing songs together. And he loved to sing Veggie Tales. He'd love to sing uh, different songs by Drake and Rihanna. There's <laughs> oh, a mix. He's yeah. a, he's, Veggie Tales. <laughs> he's, he's a great kid. But um, just until like he didn't really get into soccer until he felt like right. he was included in multiple areas and not just in the group. Right. Yeah. And in a relationship. Right. More. And yeah. that's that's where I got to see the joy start. to. That's, that's, cool. that's where he kind of let down and that's where he was able to have fun. Let me ask you a question. Both of you guys can answer this. Were either of you ever in your life afraid of people with special needs or disabilities? As as a young kid, I definitely was. Um, maybe as like growing up, like in elementary school, um, I felt intimidated because I didn't, I don't know if I felt afraid, but I felt intimidated because um, I knew yeah. I knew the right thing was to make friends. Yeah, but I didn't know how, and I, I would also be afraid of uh, what other people would think if I were to initiate that because yeah. no one else did that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but growing up and being a part of e soccer and other esport communities um, helped me see that you know like it's it's not about um, or it's it's more about how how can I include as opposed to being a part you know do you do you, in your in your work with uh, you know I know you did a presentation for your college not that long ago you're doing another one I think you said Monday yes do you find that people your age college age high school age have the same kind of either fear or discomfort awkwardness about you know what i've seen is that people most most college students or people my age people care yeah um yeah. but they have they have sympathy instead of empathy i think i think what what i what i've seen is that people my age feel sorry for children or young adults with special needs but they don't have the emotional capacity to put themselves in other people in their shoes yeah. and to mm. feel for them they might feel sorry for them and because of that they might go out and help and they might um they might go help different communities right. but yeah it's something i was i was trying to teach in my presentation was um empathy in place of sympathy now now, now you know there's some people who are not uh, and Greg, you can jump on any time. There's some people who are not big on the empathy thing. They think that empathy doesn't work. There have been studies that have been done, and they've talked about the fact that having empathy doesn't matter if it doesn't lead to action. So the the idea of I'm empathetic, I can feel your pain, doesn't mean anything if you don't do anything. So and when that you, makes sense. What, 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 well, I mean, saying what do, when you think of empathy, my guess is you're thinking of something those people are not thinking about. I'm think when I when I think empathy, I think. Um, uh, love tied with action. Love tied with action. Love tied with action. I think when I think of empathy, I think of, um, I think of actually going out with someone else, whether they have special needs or not. I think of uh, having the emotional ability to care about someone else, mm. despite whatever's going on in your own life, and to think about what they're feeling from their own perspective. So you would tell people, look, I don't define empathy the way you define empathy. What you, exactly. you what you would say is, what they're calling empathy is actually sympathy. Exactly. And that your version of it – go ahead, Greg. No, I was going to say – and I think the word compassion is what I think too. Right. You're talking about – when you say empathy, you're talking about feeling something and 
taking action. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's having a connection, a compassion that moves you toward action. Exactly. And I, I was going to say for me, you know, we're, we're totally different generations because, yeah. you know, I grew up as a young person in the seventies and in college, in high school and college in the eighties. And for me, I was always a very social person and I always, uh, I had that sympathy you're talking about. So I was relating to that. But what, what you said, Russ, is actually, that's exactly what I felt. In fact, I thought back, I was like, growing up, I don't even remember being aware of kids with special needs around me at all. Mm. Like it was a society. I mean, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and I remember uh, only 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 person around me in my life that I remember having special needs that I was aware of before starting before Russ and I were friends and and I got to know his kids and we started e-soccer and all um gosh I had a cousin a distant cousin who had down syndrome and I mm-hmm. she was the only one I was ever around my whole life and I remember what you said I remember fear even though I was such a social person I was so afraid I was going to say the wrong thing do the wrong thing or that I didn't understand her world so I was afraid to get in it and that changed so much, obviously, through e-soccer. It was like I was the first time I was able to get into the world of, of someone I felt like, oh, I don't understand her. And I realized there's, I'm not going to make a mistake if I just care and I just jump in and learn. And that was, for right. me, that was a big part of it. So you didn't have kids with special needs in your school? You know, it's funny. I, I was thinking about that, and I, I'm, I know we did because I'm, I'm sure we had you know special education classes and all, but I, I don't remember. I don't ever remember having any interactions through high school, junior high. Like, I can't. And that might just be, you know, uh, a statement of me and how inner, in, inward focused I was in my own life and being an only child and, and just trying to get through life and my, my circle of friends. But I don't remember having – so there was definitely no inclusion going on around me in the circles I ran in growing up in sports with soccer and in my high school and because I don't remember any opportunities to be included in those things. I so. clearly remember special education classes, uh, especially in high school. Um, and I remember, I remember the first time I ever saw someone with an injury was in third grade. A young lady had a neck brace on and I was afraid I was, I didn't want to be around her. I didn't want to be near her. And, uh, then I remember in high school, well, before high school, we use, we use the word retard and call people mental retard all the time. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. all the time you're a retard all the time. Literally, like, yeah, I, told, it I was, remember that. It was the it was the thing you said if someone was doing something doofus or whatever. Sure, yeah. yeah. And then, um, and that you know, we're talking about the seventies here. So for those who are a little younger, you'll <laughs> go, yeah, I understand that. Not not talking too recent, but uh, and then I remember in high school making fun of kids that were in special education. Now they didn't all have. This is the interesting thing. I don't know that they all had disabilities. I think they were behind academically. And one of the things you'll find if you do a little research is in school uh, systems around the country, a lot of times special education is where they dump kids who slow the class down. And so they're not Mm -hmm. all uh, uh, diagnosed with something. Right. They all don't have intellectual disabilities is – yeah. Yeah. Well, they all don't have uh, any – like they're just not – they're not – sometimes they're minority kids – who cause disturbances in the classes and teachers want to get rid of them. Mm, and so right. they go, this kid's not learning well and they get them into special education. That has been known to happen. If you go back and do your research, I think there was, this is a long time ago, there was a lawsuit brought in Boston or an investigation done in Boston years ago because more than any other number, black kids were put in special education and not because they had any educational learning challenges whatsoever. Mm. Uh, and so uh, I just think, when I was in high school, I did those things. I yeah. saw them, and I remember being in the mall, and if I'd see somebody, you know, you stare. Or no, yeah. I shouldn't say you stare. I stared. 
And I'd be like, you know, you stare at the person in the wheelchair, stare at the person who looks unusual. Sometimes I was staring at people who didn't have anything. They just look different. And I saw a T-shirt today. I was uh, out and a young lady was had a T-shirt on different is good. Yeah. And I made note of that T-shirt. Cool. And the reason I'm bringing all this up is because I think sometimes we think, because we're involved with esports or whatever, that we're different than somebody who thinks that life yeah. with uh, special needs is challenging. It is challenging. You know, I've parented. I've, I'm a parent. It is challenging. It, it, you've got to do a lot of things that other parents don't have to do. And so when somebody says, I don't know if I want to have that kid, I want to make clear. I, I, I can understand the thought. I personally never had it, but I can understand yeah. the fear and the and the do I want to do I want to spend my life not being able to go places and do things that yeah. everybody else can do? That's the question. Right. And, yeah. that, and, and, and part of the solution to me is I'm not I think fewer people would see having a kid with special needs as a massive liability hmm. if we practiced real inclusion. Mm-hmm. See, that's the thing. I think part of it is if I'm looking and going, my kid is going to have all these disadvantages, then I might think I'm doing them. And I think in some of the literature I've read, people say, I feel like I did my kid a favor by not letting them come into this world where they could be brutalized. That, That's I insane. can understand that. And so, yeah. so, 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 wow. so that to me says less about that individual and more about our world. That That's a great makes point. complete sense. Yeah, that kind of changes my whole perspective. And when you said that, I can understand how someone would feel that. You're right. It's Given why that I think inclusion is so important. Right. Like I think I, I think when you say, Hey, just have a kid. I have a kid with special needs, you should have a kid with special needs. All right, that sounds good. Yeah. It sounds more maybe complex. it sounds right. But and it's easy for someone right. who doesn't have any kids with special needs to go, Yeah, you should have that kid with special needs. I, I, I just think that's not the that's not my position. Right. My position is the world needs to be changed yeah. so that somebody feels like they have the option. Right. And so take a look at this, right? When you when you take when you when you look at that's why I call the dehumanization the greatest societal tragedy. I think the last great prejudice in the world is not toward any race or any ethnicity or any gender. The last and most severe prejudice in the world is toward those disabilities. Any group will be more severely punished in life if they have a disability. So if somebody's got a gender difference, they're going to have it worse if they have a disability. If someone's a different color, they're going to have it worse if they have wow, a disability. Great point. So th- th- it, right. it, there's, there's yeah. nothing more severe yeah. than when you put that in there. And I think our society has to... To, to, to change. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, what you're going to see is the increasing dehumanization and what you're going to get. And I hate to go on a, a you know, thing about I'm not a bioethicist. I don't. That's not my expertise. <laughs> but imagine this. Right. Where you get to a society where you start going, well, I was really hoping to have a kid who'd be six, three and could pitch in baseball so I could go watch him. But now that they've done all the genetic testing, I realize yeah. he's probably only going to be six foot. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't know if I want that kid. Like, you start moving into yeah. weird territory. So that's what I think about. But inclusion is based on community, connection, contribution, contemplation, comprehensive. Yeah. Let me ask you guys a question. Do you think getting society to embrace this kind of inclusion, do you think it's, like, impossible in a pipe dream? Do you think it's possible? What do you think? You guys looked at it? I, Tell I, me. I think it's possible. I think as, as we're having this discussion, I think one of the challenges, especially in the in the – in the spot we live in in the world here in the Silicon Valley in the United States, I go, man, we're sadly in, 
we are in, in a place where um, performance is so uh, so valued that because when I think about e soccer and I think about my relationships mm-hmm. with all the kids out there and my own son who's got you know some some mild you know mild special needs, but uh, I just think about how how enriching and how rewarding is the relationship the the relationship aspect of doesn't matter you know where the different kids are that I work with on on the spectrum and 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 whatever the special needs um there's there's so much value in those relationships that I have but do do, do you think it's possible though I think it's possible but I think it goes against the grain of a society that really wants to look at human beings as how are you going to perform in this society? How are you? Is your performance in these different areas going to meet our standards to make you? I hate to say. It, I mean, it sounds kind of uh, um, sounds so non-relational, but I do think that that's why a lot of times kids or adults with special needs can be can be dehumanized or can be less feel to people less important because they're not able to perform as highly as someone without those particular challenges or whatever. So I think that I think it's difficult, but I think it's possible. What makes you think it's possible? I think it's possible because I think, um, well, at least in in the sphere that I see working in esports, and I see it happening in the school, in the schools, I see the people working at it, and I see it going, moving that direction. But I don't. I, I think I see it in certain segments of society. I see it, especially in the sports arena, more and more. I see even in the area that I work in with soccer and all the relationships I have in different soccer organizations, I see them trying to include more and even in typical sports organizations around me. So I see it starting to happen in certain areas across society. That's, I don't know. I mean, maybe I spoke So, so you don't have a lot of hope when you talk. <laughs> I mean, you don't sound too hopeful right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if I've ever considered like, well, you said something uh, interesting. Uh, so let me ask you a couple of questions. Yeah. You said, you said, do you want to get in here, Jackson? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I wanted to say something real quick before we move on. You don't have um, to, you know, we're not going to move on. Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, then I'll say what I want to say. Um, so yeah, I think from what I've seen is that at least after I gave my presentation at San Jose state is that people, people are inspired by, yeah. by making change. I think, um, I think this is something that, uh, that can happen. I think total inclusion can happen uh, simply because if you introduce it as something that can happen and you believe it yourself and you show people how it can happen is with with programs like eSoccer and right. Hoops. I think if you show other people um, how it changes lives, people are inspired by that. Yeah, people see how sure. if they can even be a part of that, how they can even be a part of the change of something completely new. Yeah. Um, so I agree that that it could. I agree with you. Uh, but more on the basis of uh, be it would change more because other people see how much impact it can make. It's yeah. interesting you say that because, um, you know, all the programs we've developed and including the spiritual program that we developed called Spiritual Resource Ministry that actually goes into – it gives churches a way to include special needs kids in, in their churches. So not only do we do the sports things that we've done, but we've also got that. Um, um, several years ago, uh, a friend of ours – um, found out they were going to have a kid with Down syndrome, and they were not devastated. And what they said is the reason we weren't is because we knew yeah. being in the community we were in, there were going to be all these things we could do, so it changed the way we think. So what you said, Jackson, is what I think is that when people have an opportunity to be around it, suddenly if a kid who's been involved in a program like eHoops finds out from his parents we're going to have a child with with special needs – then that kid thinks very differently about right, that exactly. than he would if he didn't have that exposure. Now, 
I want to come back to you, Greg, and ask a couple questions because you, yeah. you you didn't seem completely gloomy, but you seemed a little you seemed <laughs> oh, a no. little gloomy. Wow. Me gloomy? Jack, Jackson, wow. never. J- I'm Jackson never rushed in there to save it, save it, <laughs> save save our idealism before it yeah. fell to the ground. Yeah. So when you think about Sam, you you mentioned you specifically mentioned being in Silicon Valley, yeah, and you yeah. made it sound like you think Silicon Valley is a place that's based on performance. You really think that? That they're all about performance here? I don't think they're all about performance, but I. But when you said, do you think full inclusion is possible? I said, I think that's going to be one of the well, biggest okay, barriers. I'm going to say right now, yeah. I don't think full inclusion, I don't think total inclusion, because those words are words that are already in the community and they're used. I yeah, call yeah. it comprehensive. Okay, got it. Because it, because I'm talking about something totally different than full or total. Right, I'm talking right. about comprehensive, which includes right, the social, the emotional, the intellectual, oh, right. the spiritual. Great. It's different. It's a totally different kind. Right. But I want to come back to this community. So yeah. you, you think it's very performance-oriented here. I do. Well, that, okay. So I don't think that. Right, I don't. I don't really think that. I do think there are people who are are determined at performance. For instance, we launched uh, our our company and built QuickTalk. One of the first companies to come running to us, and and they were executives at that company was Google. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were like, "We want to do anything we can to help." These were executives yeah. there, yeah. And they were in the middle of a meeting with Samsung yeah. at the time, which was there were some problems going on with Android, and they left that meeting. One he had to go back. One of them had to go back, but he left the meeting to be a part of it. Yeah. Um, uh, I've been invited in by Facebook to speak to them about accessibility. Both Facebook and Google and Apple have all radically changed their attitude about accessibility and have done a lot of uh, software engineering and hardware engineering yeah. to try to make that uh, go further. Uh, I think a lot of our volunteers for our programs have come from these companies. Absolutely. Uh, so I actually think, you know, I'm a big Silicon Valley proponent. I've been here since 93 and I was been here during the, the I, I actually think that, there, that, that, that many times the terrible stories are told yeah. about this place, but I don't know anywhere in the country or the world that has the success we've had with our programs. That's true. And the Warriors invited our e-hoops in the earthquakes invited our yep. soccer program in. Right. So, and I look at San Francisco, and while I'm not as liberal as San Francisco is, <laughs> these people in San Francisco inspire me. They will fight for trees. They will fight for gender. They will yeah. fight for water. They will for fight for buildings. They will fight for yeah, low-cost housing. I mean, I think we actually live in the one place that makes me think it's possible. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that makes me go. These are people in the Bay Area that are really unique. Uh, and yes, people think, oh, it's just there's it's wealth and all that. That's yeah. it, that's not everybody here is not rich. Right. Uh, and and but I think there is this heart that that these companies have that's that good. are unlike any in in the country and it's one of the reasons why I believe it's possible. Yeah. I I actually think the intellectual strength of the Silicon Valley is what makes this possible. The the capacity they have to 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 tease out these issues of say ethics right. about is it right or is it wrong. I right. think these are people who can tease that out and go, you know what? I can invent something. Yeah, that that's what I did. I go go in the. I can invent something yeah. that helps these kids uh, take a take a step up. So I actually think it's possible. Also, when you look at states like Vermont, Vermont. they have one of the greatest uh, inclusive. 
communities in schools hmm. and in their community of any state. I think they may be well, number well, one. Vermont, when you look wow. at places like Lawrence, Kansas, then typically the number one special education university in the country is Lawrence is University of Kansas. Wow. So I, I think you've got a lot of places yeah. that that are that, that are sitting there. One of the guys I want to have come on the uh, uh, podcast. Uh, uh, he. Um, Started out as a, a teacher, has become, a, I think, a director in, in Atlanta. But he just he has no special needs kids. He just made it his mission yeah. to try to get inclusion going. So I actually think that there are a lot of people who want to do it, right. but they don't necessarily have a philosophy. And so yeah. part of what I try to that do is sense. go, what's the philosophy you can give to people that tells them, here's how you make society more both welcoming and inclusive so that when a parent like me is faced with having a special needs kid, they don't necessarily freak out and go, my whole life is ended. The good thing happened to me, and I want you guys to tell me what you think about all this, because I think Silicon Valley and the Berry is a unique place, a great place for this to happen. What happened to me when I was in Washington, D.C., when my oldest was born, is the head of genetics for the Children's Hospital in Washington, D.C., happened to decide to come down to the hospital. We were in Alexandria, and he lived there, uh, and uh, Alexandria, Virginia. And to to tell us and confirm that our son had Down syndrome, he came in the hospital and was talking to me. And uh, I think I remember his name is Dr. Sal. He came and he talked to me and he said, the first thing I want you to understand is this. You have a baby who happens to have Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. That conversation was a conversation that set me on a course for inclusion. If I had had a doctor come to me and say, I'm sorry, you have a kid with Down syndrome. Yeah, it's completely different. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's why I have hope. That's yeah. why I go, I think it's possible. I just don't think there are that many people out there going, hey, I've got a, I've got a vision. I've got a way. I've got a philosophy, a way to think right. about this and a process to, to attack. Yeah. Is that, is that, did, did, I, did I persuade you, you about me, Silicon yeah. Valley? Well, it's funny because um, as you shared those stories, I mean, as you know, you and I have been a part of all those, uh, all those not all those things, but, you know, working with the earthquakes and the warriors and, and the different, I mean, I play soccer with a bunch of guys from Google and some have come and joined and helped us with e-soccer. So it's interesting because I think, um, well, one, I think that a lot of things you said I agree with and I, I see that and I've experienced that. I think for me, why I see the the limiting factor with the whole performance thing is I just I also at the same time see many people that tell me I mean because I talk a lot about e-soccer I try to get people involved a lot of people I see oh, I can't do that I've got too much to do I've got too much to do at work or at school we're just in a society when I I think when I think of Silicon Valley in our society we've got a lot of people who work so many hours and are so focused on performing at work at school whatever that they don't they don't feel like they have the time to to be involved and so. But I think you you definitely have won me over to your side more. Well, when I was uh, when when we were first, you know, in the community of people with special needs families, um, none of what exists today was around. Yeah, uh, UC Davis Mind Institute didn't exist. Right, that started because there were fathers who were doctors who were like, "We got to find solutions. We got to understand where this comes from." Yeah, across the space. So I I think you know. It, it always starts with a with a seed, and then the seed is right. planted, and it grows, and then right. other seeds are planted, and it grows. So, I, my view on on Silicon Valley is it's a meritocracy, yeah. not as much performance. I do think people, yeah. can, all human beings, can be performance, and so it's a meritocracy. And what people need is they need to understand. Like Google, uh, uh, I know help with Hope Technology School where you yeah. work to help them build their uh, uh, infrastructure for their web presence. Yeah. Well, these are guys in Japan yeah. who were like, oh, we want to help somebody who's helping kids with special needs. So I, I think 
I, I think there's groups who want to do it. What I want your thoughts on, Jackson, because I saw your look on your face when I was going through okay. talking about Silicon Valley, talking about yeah. you, you heard the University of Kansas, and that one that one seemed to yeah, you're no, like, what, where'd that come from? It just surprised me. Yeah, the, but but the when you're hearing all that, you're younger and all that, uh-huh. when you hear all that, what does that make you think? What, what? I mean, I don't I don't really know what to think besides it just gives me hope. I think um, – uh, that all over the United States and in places that I wouldn't even expect, like not even, yeah. that's not even the epicenter of the new technology that's coming out. Um, like I think places like Kansas, I was the most, I, I was surprised most about Vermont. I was like, what the heck? Like why, <laughs> why, why Vermont of all places? But it just shows how, um, I think, uh, forces for good, uh, about with or regarding inclusion, uh, can happen anywhere. Yeah. Um, well, and I think what you get in Vermont, just to be fair, is, and I'm not a Bernie Sanders, you know, acolyte or oh, fan. Got it. But what you have in Vermont is a is a societal vision that I think is a little different than other places have. It's a smaller state, but I think they have a sense of we want to create a culture yeah. where nobody uh, will fall behind. Yeah. I was just I was as we were talking about this whole thing. Um, I thought of a, the story of, I mean, when we talk about the earthquakes and you, we talk about a full inclusion and it changing a mindset and even connecting to this whole thing about performance. Um, you know, I remember sitting down when I sat down with, with uh, Jesse, the GM for earthquakes, and we talked about e-soccer and they, we've been building that relationship and they wanted to bring it in more and, and get them, get their kids, their academy kids involved. Well, you just talked about, about organizations that want to, that want to bring it in or that want to, you know, really find ways to help promote it. It was cool to see them in one one discussion, one conversation. Go, wow! We can get all of our academy kids who are definitely they're focused on those kids performing and getting to you know be mm. professional players. So you know these are some of the top kids in the in, the, in Northern California. But they were like, wow! If, if we can get e soccer uh, to be a part of what we do with our academy kids, we're going to build their character. We're going to teach them how to care about other kids, and that's going to be just as important in life for them. Because not all of them are going to become great soccer players, but they can become great people in terms of those relationships. And so it's interesting as, as we're talking about this, I'm going, yeah, there's an organization that right on a dime, we they turned and they were like, hey, we want to do this every year. Have you come to the stadium, work with our kids? We want our kids to be able to be a part of this. So, I mean, that's just a great I, example I, I of that. I think this is because there are individuals who understand that the majority of people who fail as great athletes in any sport fail because of what happens off the field. Yeah. And if you can't learn uh, how to treat people in a way that is not condescending or dehumanizing, and, you know, as an athlete, you're an athlete coming along, and there is an arrogance that you develop because you feel you're better than other people because you're, you know, you're you're showcased more than the average student. You're out there. You're part of a team that's showcased more. And, um I think what these people understand is that if you don't want to have a bunch of people walking around that don't care, I think LeBron James is a great illustration, building his school and giving everybody a bike. I was like, why is he giving everybody a bike? And he talked about why a bike was so important to him. That started for him when he was in high school, kid of a single mom. It's amazing who the guy has become as a human being, right? I think when you can give, let's say you take a kid in Palo Alto who's, comes from a pretty a family that can meet most of his financial needs. You know, not everybody in Palo Alto is super rich. I don't live there, but it's, it's just, it's not, it, there's a lot of fables. But it's a tremendous high school. Yeah. If that kid can gain this awareness of people are people 
And I, yeah. that's what, I think the world is cold and the country can get cold. Yeah. And all the stuff you see politically right now, I mean, right. think about the stuff people are calling each other, yeah. the things people are saying mm-hmm. to each other. Yeah. It's all dehumanizing. I, because I don't agree with you, I'm going to dehumanize you as a person. Mm. That trickles down yeah. to people with disabilities who can't defend themselves. Yeah. And so yeah. I think really what we've done in our first section, because we're going we're gonna to come back in a moment and get in a little more detail, what we've done in this first section is – kind of lay out the groundwork for why inclusion is so important. In this next section, we're going to go through the levels of inclusion, give you a few more ideas about that, and even maybe, you know, Jackson will talk to us a little bit about uh, adaptive versus modified inclusion and how that takes place in education, how we can take the lessons of the classroom and maybe get those into families and society where people start to learn how, how to include. So we'll be back in just a moment. 